Thank you, Janet Lee. Wow. I just get so touched when I hear those, those feelings that you put into your music. God bless you. And hello, everybody out there. Jerry Lee, the Manifester, and we are off today for an incredible sky ride. And I want you to really listen. I want you to concentrate. I want you to understand that one of the reasons why the King James Bible is so popular and still sells more Bibles than any other brand is because as a fairly well-known uh, theologian said, whose name was Arthur Kustans, the reason the King James Bible is popular is because it was done more by the Spirit, whereas the other versions were done more by technicality. And so today, we want to be moving by that Spirit and not looking at things the way they might seem to be based on what others have said that they're supposed to be, but based on what they are according to the Spirit. Now, we're dealing with a great meeting that Moses had. And the Bible tells about it in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who was a priest of Midian. And the angel of, of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. How many people would love to have that experience with God of what the meaning of that bush not being consumed? I will, I will have to say that during my many, many years of ministry, I have been given one revelation upon another. And still to this day, even though I'm 75 years old, revelations just keep rolling in. And they are astounding revelations. And that is that consuming fire of God, that ever-burning perpetual revelation that just does not cease. And as long as you're plugged into it, there's more and more and more information going to happen and going to come. So Moses is in the meeting with the angel of the Lord. And Moses was an inquisitive sort of individual. He sought to know answers to things. And when he had the, the reveal made known to him of this angel of the Lord who had come in the name of the Lord Yahweh, or as the Manifest calls him, Yahweh-El, he wanted to know about all of that. And he wanted that information. Now, this relationship is further expanded if we 
Look in Exodus 33. And, and Moses is speaking to this angel and, and the angel is representing him as Yahweh and uh, he asked the Lord if if he would reveal himself and in the 17th verse the Lord L capital O capital R capital D capital meaning Yahweh or Yahweh said unto Moses I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for thou hast, thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Everybody might think that's just really common. I know thee by name. But God wasn't talking about his name Moses. The angel was talking about he knew who he was as an ophanim, and he knew his name. And everyone out there has a number, and that number is a name. That's how it works in the Hebrew, you know. And when Moses in the 18th verse said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he says, I will make my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for there shall, there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it came to pass, while the glory passed by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, and my face shall not be seen. Well, I have done a teaching on this in the past. And the reveal of that is that those back parts represented the, the angelic host. So I'm going, to I'm, going to, I'm going to reveal to you the angels. I'm going to reveal to you <coughs> their flying ziths. And so we see that in the 68th chapter, as we've read to you many times, of Psalms, that at Sinai, where the Mount Sinai, where the commandments, we call them properly the ten words, were being received, God, through this angel, kept his word. And 20,000 chariots of God, Ziths, came down with over 20,000 angels. And God revealed to Moses, and this is all part of the lost book of the wars of the gods. Because without having this knowledge, you miss the whole structure and the construction of the message of God to Moses that I will go before you. And Moses had said, if you go not before me, then don't send me. And the whole thing about going against the enemy, going against incredible odds and difficult circumstances, 
going against odds that seem incredible to overcome was all was all situated in a different mentality when God says, don't worry about what the odds are. Don't worry about the giants. Don't worry about the fenced cities. Don't worry about the people that have chariots. I will go before you, I the Lord. And Moses said, okay. And he says, well, show me your glory. And he, he says, okay, I'm going to reveal to you the angels. That's my back parts. I'm going to reveal that to you. And he did. So when we are rewriting this book of the lost, of the lost wars of the gods, we are not rewriting it in the prefaces of how that it would be written as a documentary. We are writing it as an interpretation of the things that it said so that what you are actually hearing is the interpretation. Because just to write a book and then not know what the meaning of it was is just another addendum of the works of unfinished revelation that can only be finished as those things are anointed and revealed by the Spirit. So we bypass that by revealing the interpretation to begin with. So now we see that this relationship that, that Moses had was incredible. He was, he was torqued in to continuous revelation. And this continuous revelation had a span going back in time, covering the present time, and going forward in time. And that's why this book of the Lost Wars of the Gods is so important because of all the things that it had covered and revealed unto Moses, which was meant to be passed on to the people of God. But sin, idolatry, caused that book to be lost. But thanks be unto God, who the Bible says, restoreth the paths to dwell in. That book of the lost wars of the gods is a path. And the people of God have not been able to dwell in it because it's not been available. But now by the holy manifest revelation, this book is being made available. And the angel talked to Moses and spoke to him about the flood that was going to come spoke to him about the waters, and no doubt, Moses said, I am a man of war, and I am not a sea man, I am a land warrior. And the angel of the Lord, no doubt, said to Moses, you will not be limited just to land. Because to understand the reveal of God, you must know about water and its meanings. 
in order to deliver the children of Israel from Pharaoh, you must know about water. In order to do the signs and the wonders before Pharaoh, you must know about water. In order to really know the plan of God, you must know about water as regards its genesis of creation and its place of value and position of space. So God revealed in this lost book of the wars to God about these things so that he would even know and understand about the flood that was coming. So that we would know and even understand that there was to be this person And someone says, well, the flood was after Moses. The flood was after Moses in the literal sense. But in the understanding sense, it had not been understood as to its meaning and significance. So what was happening is God was revealing to Moses about the flood that was, about the effect that existed presently, and about how that the knowledge of that effect as to the meaning of that effect was to be revealed to him so that it could be passed on to manifested circles as to what the significance of that effect was for all times. So it would be Moses who in the liturgical of his revelation would write Genesis. I do not say there were not other contributors, but I do say that it was undergirded and given foundation by this man of God who at the burning bush was introduced to the angel of the Lord who came in a, a metal, when you look up all the terms and if you've been following me, you find out that this flame and this experience was a metal reflection. It was a Sith that had landed among the bushes. And he was to find out about them because they would come on the mount and he would not be afraid once he un understood because the angel knew Moses by name. So as I said, as I just got through saying, when I refer to the flood after Moses, I'm referring to the revelation of the flood. We all know the sequences in which the flood came and how that that was fairly early in the genealogies of humankind, especially the accounted genealogies. But as I said, 
even though the flood had occurred earlier, people did not understand its significance. And so the the reveal of the flood and then therefore the significance and effect of the flood was yet to be revealed for his time and yet to be revealed for the future time. And that is the meaning of what I refer to when I talk about the flood after Moses. We're talking about the reveal. And so God made it clear to Moses some of these beautiful things at that meeting of the bush and how that he would have a divine escort. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Now, the other days, just a few days ago, I was sitting in my big reclining chair, relaxed and just sort of resting up a little bit from all the long hours that I seem to be in continuum of. And I felt an, an unction to look over toward my, my bookcase that was just over on the right side of ways. And I have there on one of the bookshelves a picture of my grandmother, Lily, L-I-L-L-I-E. I call her my, my godmother. She raised me. She was a true saint and still is a saint. And I saw something happening on the face of the picture. And because I've had experience with materialization and dematerialization, and I have seen it with my eyes and my family has seen it, and many of the people in our meetings have seen it, I recognize that there was a, a materialization that was happening on the picture. So I reached down to pick up my glasses, which are my distant distance readers, and as soon as I put it on, I was just amazed. I knew that I was having an epiphany. Now, what is an epiphany? Well, if you look up the meaning of epiphany, one, two, three. One, it's a manifestation or an appearance of a divine or superhuman being. Two, it's an illuminating realization or discovery resulting in a feeling of elation, of awe, of wonder. And then three, one that is more commonly known among the church world, a season or time of the Christian church, not every Christian church, but for sure of the Catholic and some of the other churches, where they celebrate the, uh, the Epiphany Feast Day, at the start of Lent. Well, my experience sort of fell within this number two, an illuminating realization or discovery resulting in a feeling of elation and awe and wonder. That was my epiphany. And this thing that I saw with Grandma was 
a smile had come on her face that was not there before. She did not have that that same kind of a look by any means. And a sparkle into her eye. My wife was sitting next to me in her big chair. And I says, Jan, look at the picture of Lily. And as soon as she turned her head and looked, she says, oh my, the face has changed. I hadn't told her that. She saw it immediately. Then one of my daughters, Myra, stood up and says, Dad, did you know that today the lily plant that I have, which I took a part of of your big lily plant that you've had going all the way back to when Grandma Lily was alive, that it had been all drooped and acting like it was maybe going to die? And she says, just all of a sudden, today, she says, all of the stems and, and the leaves just like they just stood up and they were just like totally you know just revitalized and I said you know what God is speaking something and then I get ready to go to bed it's it's pretty close to midnight it's around 1130 in the evening and I look out our window because uh, we have a you know a, a pretty high second floor and you can look out these windows and you can see a lot of the houses that are neighbors across the way. And in the backyard, this one neighbor, I, I'm sure that they accidentally flipped a switch or something, but they had turned on all these Christmas lights. I suppose they had turned them on. I don't know that for sure. All I know is that they were on. And there was, you know, several hundred of them. And they were very bright and very shining. And all these different colored Lights had come on. And I says, you know what? There's a message in this. It's all part of this epiphany. It's all part of this thing that has happened to, to Grandma in this picture. She had this sparkly look. She, her chin and how her lips was sort of brought up to one side with this smile. It, it, it was a message that something good was happening and something good was even more was going to happen. It was positive and it was a message from her, from the other side. I know it was. And that was the epiphany. And that was then to be followed. In the next day, actually the next couple of days, with the most outstanding revelation that is just so absolutely incredulous. And I'm going to share that with you today, not just right at the start, but I mean, there's because I got lots of good other things, but you're going to hear some really incredible scripture. And this is really invisible Bible uh, scripture stuff, hidden scripture, things that people have passed over and not even realized was there. You're going to hear that. And so, blessed be the name of God. We talked about the creation days. And we showed how that according to the, I believe the 14th verse of Genesis, the stars, the sun, the sun especially, and the moon would be a sign 
of times, of seasons. And this was star time. And we know that there are, there are scriptures that are very interesting because uh, they talk about, you know, that as long as, as long as this, um, the seasons continue, um, as long as the, the sun shines and, and so forth continues, so that everything is based, and I'll be reading those scriptures to you after a while, is based on what is happening in our world of, of the solar system and our world of the universe above our solar system is connected to star time. And that unless by the Spirit we understand that, which is given in the Word, then we're going to get in all kinds of problems in which the Bible says, look, if you're going to get into genealogies and you're going to just make that your, your scriptural God and your idol, you said, you're just making a mistake. Because it was known when that was said that genealogies can take you nowhere sometimes. Because unless you understand in the revelation of genealogies, there are genealogies that are accounted, and there are other genealogies that happen, but God does not count them as part of the record of time. So without that knowledge, you are just strapped in, and you're just wasting your time. Well, we discovered there was four universal or star time days. Genesis Yom 1, Yom 2, Yom 3, Yom 4. And that the beginning and the end of each day, the day and the night, represented the beginning, the dawning, and the closing of those great eons of ages. And that each one of those Yoms represented a, a billion plus years. So we had number one, number two, number three, number four, the first four days. Then we had three days left. Well, interesting, the, the third creation, Yom. And we talked about this word Yom. Yom can mean a 24-hour period. But everything is understood contextually. If you don't understand the Bible contextually, and even in Hebrew and Greek, Knowing how to, how to pronounce, knowing how to apply uh, a, a verb or a noun is all based on contextuality. Knowing how to apply a, a tense is all known by the context of the subject. So that the yom can mean ever or evermore. Uh, it, 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 can, it can mean and represent all kinds of different applications. So, 
as you begin to get into this message, we, we notice that the third day, that in Genesis 1, 9, and 10, it says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place. Now the second day, the Yom generation day, the star time day, the waters under the firmament, which means sky or heaven, was to be separated from the waters above the sky. And then on the third day, if the waters under the firmament were all, so that all land was covered, which it, that is what it says, it says that all of the land was covered, Genesis 1-9, so it was an all-water world. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. Now the root affiliate for one place means to rise. And so this was referring to rising of the mountains because it would be this incredible happening in the bowels of the earth that would begin as like volcanoes bringing up effects happening from the core of the earth. Now, did you know that recently they discovered that the core of the earth is much hotter than they ever imagined? Just recently, they discovered that the core of the earth is at least 6,000 centimeters. That's not the right word, is it? <laughs> but... 6,000. And that the, the, the surface of the sun, that's what it is. It's the same. And that's how hot our earth is in the core. And doesn't that somehow make a, a connection between our earth and the sun? Because they both have that same heat at least the surface of the sun does wow okay so just don't get mixed up and say Fahrenheit we're talking centigrade okay now when that third billion year period, the Yom, was on, this volcanic action began, major volcanic happenings, and causing the mountains to rise through the volcanic action, and causing there to be great rifts and splits of the landmass, so that there began to be channels for the, the the waters of the ocean and seas, which were all at one were all in one place at the time. Wow. Well, guess what happened when the effect of all that took place.
huge amounts from the heat of the volcano, from the eruptions of things from deep within, from out of the really hot, hot core. Much moisture was put into the sky. So thick was it that you could not see the light of the sun. So now this tremendous core heat that was coming up, not degrees Fahrenheit, but degrees Celsius. And I like to put that into the centigrade notation because people don't always realize how that when you can get into certain kinds of measurements and degrees, how that a cubit actually equals a day. And that's another subject I did minister it a while back. But um, in this uh, tremendous heat relationship of the sun and the core of the earth, mountains were drawn up, which was the root affiliate meaning of one place. And as these mountains came up and the volcanoes began to spell out and all the land mass and all the water vapor in the haze and the sun being blocked, as things began to cool and cool and cool, before you knew it, the first ice age, the first ice age had come. Now, there's been a lot of different ice ages. And sometimes they last for millions of years, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a break, that they don't have a certain meltdowns. They have ice meltdowns. But the, the, the deep part of the, of the ice cover stays on as a cap. So, as we begin to understand that, as we begin to, to see that, we see now how that God reveals going way, 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 way back in time. You see, scientists don't know everything. And a lot of their fundamental ideas about things are not correct. So we have to understand then how ultimately important it is that we give ourselves into this revelation from God. And that on the, the later day of, of God, it talks about that the sun was made visible. It was made visible. Because that's, the ice age had helped clear up by turning that vapor into into snow and and into ice and 
into glacial material. So, finally we get through the, the third generation day, then the fourth generation day, and we come to the fifth day, which we call the longest earth day, because it was no longer universal time, because the Bible makes it very clear in its wording that it was about the earth time. So we're going to get into some revelation about Lucifer and then hope to get in this new revelation I received on Scripture before the broadcast is over. So now Janet is going to play for a five-minute break. God bless you so much.
Thank you again, Janet Lee, and hello, everybody, again. All right, so now we're in the fifth generation age, and this is uh, in the how it reads it. Um, in the 19th verse of the first chapter of Genesis, and the evening and the morning were the, the fourth day. So now the fourth universal generation age has ended. And keep in mind, don't forget, in, in chapter 2, uh, it says... In verse 4, these, which was, this whole list has been given in chapter 1, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So you have a division of two different kinds of generations. The generations of the heaven, the star time generations, and the generations of the earth, which are the earth time gener generations. Now, I do want to make a little point here. Uh, I was hoping to be able to get to the questions of JJ. I still won't be able to get to it this, this week. Uh, with all this epiphany and everything that's happened, it's going to take every second of this broadcast time. But um, you'll be glad for this revelation. All right. So now, verse 20 begins the fifth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. You have to keep in mind when it says God said. This word God did not come from the Hebrew word of 433, which is El Eloha, which means a singular God. This came, when you looked it up, from the Hebrew 4.30 in the concordance of Strong's Dictionary, which means Elohim, which means plural. Now, there are certain, co co uh, certain applications in which you can use a plural as a compound one, which the Peace Manifest Bible does. And it and it in the Peace Manifest Bible says manifold God. And that is a beautiful revelation. And so let's read it. And God said, Let the waters bring forth. The gods said, Let the waters bring forth. Now, who are these waters? Well, by now you should know by the teachings that we have given. How that in the 17th chapter of Revelations, in the 15th verse, the angel describes to John the meaning of waters in the Bible. That waters represent nations, people, kindred, tongues. And the 8th chapter of Isaiah talks about the flood of waters that turns out being an ancient group of of people and many many other supportive scriptures and so he says let the waters bring forth abundantly so now creation by manifold god goes into this thing where the ophanim angels by their own accord on their own own self initiatives 
which was all part of the plan for the 144,000 to to spirit creation, they begin to spirit the Soundtron creations. And that's what this is talking about. And God said, let the waters bring forth. These waters represent the Ophanims. And they begin to speak manifold God's word to the extent that they are feeling by the Spirit, which has said, let the waters, or let the energized beings, which were the Ophanim, produce swarming creatures, creature cells of life, from which they may, may emerge flying creatures of the air. Now at this point, things have changed. Now that the individual Ophanims have begun to be given the charge, Lucifer, remember, according to the scriptures in which we'll get into if we have the time, Isaiah and Ezekiel, he is a cherub, and he has been assigned to be over all of the Ophanims during the creation. Because he has now been put, and he's sitting in the, the seat of Yaviel as a, a bright and morning star. And he has that title. That's why in the Bible, both Jesus Christ as Yaviel has that title, and still Lucifer has that same title. Because the judgment day has not happened yet, in which he will be judged for what he has done, that has not occurred yet. So he still has that title. And then Lucifer, once these individual Ophanims are beginning to get into crea creation, begins to direct in the Ophanim angels in creation and begets an age of behemoth dragons and monsters. And I've ministered this to you before. I mean, the very word that they use to translate to whale actually means monster. It actually means dragon. So, verse 21, Then according to manifold God's word, the energized beings, often operating under Lucifer as their assigned covering cherub, a guardian, cause germ creatures of life to emerge, each capable of re uh, reproduction of its type. From such germ creatures emerge great dragon monsters, dinosaurs, flying creatures, and a prolificity of other living creatures. For manifold God's word allowed it to be. And manifold God's word had blessed, verse 22, them, and I'm, I'm reading now a manifest translation, the energized spirit angels, by saying, let life be bondful and multiply in the seas to emerge as creatures of the land. So it, so it was a period of dawn and a period of convolution, the fulfillment of the fifth generation age. Now during this time that Lucifer has gotten involved, 
He has planted secretly codes into his instructions. And these codes have been sown ignorantly by the Ophanims into all of the creation of plants and animals so that there is a time situation, a timing order. <coughs> and Lucifer knows when that signal has been in, triggered, these other creature, creatures are going to begin to come in. Now, just about as this sixth day of creation is coming in, is in effect, the fifth day, the longest day of the earth time generations has ended. And we're talking there over a half a billion years that that Lucifer day was going on. Later we'll show you the time syndrome, but we, we won't have time today. It was then that this place in Revelations chapter 12 begins to come in effect because some of these things now have been discovered by Dominius and reported to Yaviel and a great disruption has happened and these things have also been reported to to Gabriel and Michael, both archangels. And the Bible says there began to be war in heaven. And so as a result of what Lucifer had done, he was eventually, via the war in heaven, cast down to earth with all his co-owned cherubims and some of the ophanims, of course, they had, well, all the ophanims had to come down. But some of them were more concentrated into their loyalty to Lucifer. Now, it's very important what happens on that sixth day, and, and this has been understood by a lot, misunderstood by a lot of, uh, of um, scholars. They think that there are two different times when the creation of man took place. Because on the sixth day, it talks about verse 26 of Genesis. And the gods, says the God, but it's actually Elohim, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea or the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Now the gods created man. Now they're talking about the bodies that the angels, the gods took when they came, left the first of came into the, to the um, uh, subduction zones of the universe. They had to take bodies, and those bodies were what they decided they would select uh, along that line uh, for the creation of, of, uh, of these different humans. Now, these humans that they're creating, though, they do not realize 
the revelation that Jesus Christ reveals years and years later in the 13th chapter of Matthew, they do not realize uh, that it says in verse uh, 25 of chapter 13, and while men slept, and that means while the plan to make uh, humankind was on hold, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And this is when the Koun cherub angels were involved in this huge work of putting these codes into every one of these transmissions from Lucifer that were then being couriered to the 144,000 and of those particular Ophanim that were involved in this sixth day of creation, in which that day is when they begin to make these humans in the image. Now, this is not anything to do about Adam at this point. This is talking about the four rivers that already existed before the land of Eden. And the, this is the you know, like the the Euphrates River, the the Hedekel, all of these rivers that it it tells us about, and and who did it say that 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 this enemy was? Well, in verse thirty eight of this thirteenth chapter of Matthew, it says, "And the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one." So these children of the wicked one are the co-owned of the wicked one, which was Lucifer, Satan. And they have sown these tares into all of the seed so that all of these, these rivers that came forth had the tares in them and were affected by this work that was done and broadcasted by Lucifer to his co-owned angels to send and courier to the 144,000 that were, that were directing, spiriting creation via the Soundtron. And that's actually what ended up causing the war in the 12th chapter of Revelations. Well, someone says, well, let's just tear these tears out. Let's just get that and... and Jesus says, no, you can't do it. If you do that, you're going to accidentally destroy some of the soul people. You can't do it. So in Genesis, we see the works of this. We see, we see the works, works of, of this sowing in, in uh, you know, chapter 6 of Genesis. And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and the daughters were born unto them that the daughters of the sons of God... These are, the, these are the children of Adam because Adam was made later. In fact, a lot of people would not want to believe this, but Adam actually came forth in, from creation, came forth from the, from the Euphrates people, 16th chapter of, of, um, of Ezekiel. And um, then the angels did something with him that hadn't been done with any of the other four river people which were prototypes of humans. 
the Euphrates people had advanced. They were getting more like the modern humans. And Adam was then made on that came forth on that on the on the seventh day. Because Yaviel had to rest his angelic archangelship, which the Bible says clearly that he has, says that when he when he comes, he's going to come with the voice and the shout of an archangel. And it makes it very clear that that's who he is. And he had to set all of that aside, the Bible says in Galatians, to empty himself and to take on the souling, spirit souling of Adam that happened on the seventh day. Now, there is this incredible thing that has happened. There is this pollution of the plants. Why would the plants pollute it? Well, it would take incredible foliage to feed these gigantic dinosaurs and these gig this gigantic creation that was going to last for, for you know millions of years, and so that had to all be part of the plan of the of the uh, of the planting uh, of these this vegetation and foliage, so that these dragons could be fed, dragons who were the dinosaurs could be fed properly. So it all had to be put. It's all part of the plan of the tares, as described here by Jesus Christ and in the sixth chapter of Genesis. So that you had the division then between the creation of man that happened on the sixth day, which was the four river creation, because as the 17th chapter, 15th verse says, these rivers, these waters, they represent the people, nations, tongues. And that's what those they were. Wow. And they were all affected by this germ plot that Lucifer Satan put into all that creation. So, there wasn't two different days of the creation of Adam or two different creations of Adam. There was the creation of the river people. Yes, these were the four rivers which were represented for people. And we've given you lots of substantiation for that. And so Lucifer was involved in all of that in a big, big way. Wow. Okay, now, what do we want to take you to from here? Well, we want to keep going a little bit on this thing about Lucifer. This fifth creation. Isaiah fourteen twelve tells you the story about Lucifer. We could just look at it real fast because we're going to just run out of time here. And I haven't even got started on my incredible revelation that I want to share with you today. But this is so important. Isaiah fourteen twelve. Incredible scripture. 
It just, people have not understood it. They've not preached on it like they should. And great mystery has been lost. So Isaiah says, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. And we see that, um, that in the 13th chapter, as a prelude, Isaiah 13.12, as a prelude to Isaiah 14.12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? How did he weaken the nations? By sowing that the tares through his co-owned cherubim angels to the Ophanim when mankind was being made on the sixth day of creation. And he weakened the nations because that's part of Revelation seventeen, fifteen. that these waters represent people, nations, tongues, and he weakened them because now they were all polluted and corrupted with these signals, which could not be taken out. These signals of the tares. Jesus said, you've got to leave them alone until Judgment Day. Otherwise, you'll destroy some of the soul people. Are they still there today? Do you have some of that in you? Of course you do. They just recently have discovered <coughs> that almost every human being on earth has ancient ancient human being <laughs> people in them. What do you mean by that? Well, people from ancient time backwards, like the, you know, the archaic time type of humans, not necessarily Homo sapiens, but along the line of the Cro-Magnon and the Homo erectus and the Neanderthal, especially the Neanderthal, they have found that that there are genes of the new of the Neanderthal in almost every human being on the planet. It's such a small amount; it represents the tares. And and these people that I'm reading those names, they're part of the of these these rivers these river people and there's so much more i think i'm going to have to just let that uh finish out next week because it's such a big subject and go to this revelation so that i don't end up not being able to share this latest revelation, which was like an epiphany. Okay? So, this is being revealed, of course, to Moses. In Genesis 7, Genesis 7, and first, let me say this before I begin to reveal this. I was praying to God and I said, God, I, I've given scriptures to the people 
to the listening audiences. But there needs to be more. There needs to be more scripture so that it can be made clearer. And God just began to move. And this was just a short time after the epiphany experiences. And God began to move and reveal me to me these scriptures. And, and the first one that I received was like in Genesis 7.15. And what is Genesis 7.15? It says, And they went in into the, to Noah's ark, two and two of all flesh were in the breath of life. Wherein, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God, Elohim, the gods, had commanded. Now, they put a, a colon after him. But they should put a period, just a period. Because it's two different charges that are being mentioned here. And going back and looking at some of the different versions of the Bible and and um, and uh, so forth, you can see that some of the translators began to recognize, although they pretty much stick to that bottom line, uh, they do try to correct what seems to be grammatical problems because of the punctuation and the translation. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, shut him in. Now this him, if you look that up in various translations, is a plurality. And in some of the translations, they, they show that being the ark and all of the, of the people in it. Others just showing it, you know, like the hymn representing a plurality. And we've, we've shown a lot of that is in the Bible, where you have a singularity of word, but it actually represents a, plural, plural, uh, a plurality of, of factuation. And the Lord shut him in. Well, <coughs> what does that mean? Does that mean that God showed them how <coughs> to make this draw so that they could crank this door shut after they got the animals in, but then didn't let them use it and went down there and himself uh, pushed that door in Someone says, well, he was inside. He said, come in the ark, you know, come and join me. Uh, I have no question about that. He'd been totally involved in this, the building of this ark. <coughs> He'd been totally involved. But he didn't stay in. He came out and he shut them in. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means when you look it up, in the Hebrew concordance of 5462, 5462, it can mean to shut up, but it also can mean to deliver up, to give over. It can mean that the Lord took, because there was a part of the animals 
a large part of the animals that would not fit into the Noah's Ark. And without a miracle, there's no way that four or even eight people could, have, could care for that many animals, even to feed them. So a revelation scene. Some said, why do we need to know all of this? Because I want to tell you, one of the things that God put upon me at the beginning of my ministry was that to save the Bible, that the Bible was being damaged by people that were, that were giving out disinformation about the translations of it, disinformation about the meaning and significance of it. And they don't understand these spiritual parts and spiritual insights because they haven't received it by the Spirit. They've received it by trying to figure it out technologically. <clears throat> Blessed be the name of God. So what are we talking about here? What happened? Well, what happened was there was the eight that were saved by water, humans, and the animals that went into that ark that were saved by water. But there was another huge group, larger group, of the offspring of the Enochs and of animals and species of all sorts that were taken up in these Ziths, these spacecraft of God, of which Jesus said in his word that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the sons of man. As says, people just go on doing their thing. I'm paraphrasing. They, they don't pay any attention to what the, what's really going on or what's getting ready to happen. They eat and they drink. They celebrate. They get married. They live. They die. They don't realize what's getting ready to happen. They don't realize that their souls are at stake. But he says, There be two in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two grinding out the mill, one will be taken, the other will be left. Because there's coming a flood. Now the flood's gonna gonna separate those that are taken, those that don't get taken, and how that they get taken. And then it says right in the Bible. Right in that same 24th chapter of, of Matthew. That he has sent his angels into the skies, into the heavens. And his angels would gather his people into, obviously, it's understood, into their spacecraft. Now people have this idea, oh, you're not needing spacecraft. We're just going to go up. Our spirits are just going to go up. No, they're not. That, you know... That might happen if you're dead. But these people, the rapture is about people that are alive and that are being taken up in a spacecraft. And some of these UFOs that have been seen and reported, they say some of them are miles long. I think they, they, one was spotted that they said was at least five miles long. There's room 
There's room at the cross for you. <laughs> There's room on that chariot of God for you and for the animals. And the Lord took them up because that's what that Hebrew word means. It means to deliver up. So not all of them stayed on the water. Some went up because there wouldn't have been room in the ark for all the species. And of course, creation scientists say, well, you know, the short term and the, the dinosaurs lived at the, at the same time not that long ago, five to 8,000 years ago they lived, or less than that. And uh, so they had to make room on the ark for the kangaroos and the dinosaurs. <laughs> hey, I've done the math. It doesn't work. Last week I was telling you about some of the capacity. It doesn't work. You can't put all the species on the ark. You for sure can't put dinosaurs and something, but and the dinosaurs, of course, if you understand the right genealogy, they were already passed. They weren't around to worry about taking up on on into the ark or taking up into a Sith, a chariot of God, a spacecraft. Oh, brother and sister. When I received that, I was just I just thought that is absolutely incredible. So God commanded, Elohim commanded, as it says there in Genesis. The gods commanded Noah and the family and the animals to get inside the ark. That was the hymn that involved all them, period. Someone says, I thought that involved Noah. Hey, that was the message to Noah and incorporated him too. And then the second part was, and the Lord delivered the other animals and the other persons upwards, the Lord took, the Lord delivered up. That is what the interpretation of that scripture really is. And so then it, it goes along with what Jesus said in, in, in his word. As it was in the days of Noah, there would be two in the field, one taken, one left. The angels, they'll meet them, the, you know, they'll be taken up to the sky. Even Jesus at Bethany was taken up. It says it. Okay, now, let's go on because there's more to this, a lot more to this revelation. How did... How did they, they handle this? Well... On the ark. I believe that the Bible tells it clearly that all of the animals went into hibernation. See, animals have instincts. Animals can know when an earthquake is going to happen. They can sense it. They can feel it. They have instincts. And I think that the animals came on their own. I don't think that they had to go out there and, and hunt for them. I think that the ones that were meant to come to the ark, if it was young ones, they were brought by their, by their mother or their parents. Animals know. They know. And I think that when they got into the ark, they went into hibernation. 
And I, I did a little study on hibernation. And I found out there's some animals that, that hibernate for eight months. So these animals in hibernation would be sleeping. Well, is there anything in the Bible? Anything in the Bible about this? And is there anything of other scriptures about this thing about being shut in and being taken up and the meaning? Well, before I get into the hibernation thing, let's go to Acts 11.10. And this is going to knock you right off your feet. Acts 11.10. Wow, is this ever an incredible revelation scripture. And here is what it says. Acts 11:10 Oh, let's start with a ten. let's start sorry, let's start with uh, chapter 10. And now this is Peter. Peter's having a trance which the manifest calls a subaudition, a deep subaudition. 10:11 And saw heaven open. This is Peter having this experience. And a certain vessel, <laughs> a vessel, descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to earth, let down to earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Ladies and gentlemen, God was revealing something to Peter. He saw this vessel. He saw this ziff. And he saw them. And there was all of these animals involved. And it says up in heaven and being let down to earth. And what was this, this sheet that was knitted? Well, when you look that up, it's incredibly interesting all the meanings that are there f there for it. And when you look up look up the word drawn up that later talks about in, in, in Acts eleven ten you begin to see just incredible revelation here. It, it, is, it is just so amazing. It's just absolutely incredible. Because what is being seen here is these sheets, these knitted sheets, from the interpretation of the Greek word, can be easily interpreted as Parachutes. Parachutes that were letting these animals down to earth in designated places like with groups because in the 11th chapter in the 10th verse of Acts it says 
And this was done three times, and all were drawn up into the heavens. And that was talking about all the parachutes and the apparatus was drawn back up after they had come down from heaven, from the sky, and had come down to the earth. These parachutes then had come down from the, the, the vessel, the spacecraft, and had opened up and then were drawn back up into the spacecraft. See the Greek word in the Greek concordance 385, to draw up, to pull up, and it's a derivative from 303, Strong's concordance, which means distributively. <laughs> severally, compound, and a piece. So here we have it right in the Bible, talking about the distribution of these animals. And they're not going to let a bunch of lions down with the, with the, with the, with the, with the oxen. So they're going to separate these in different places across all the earth. And where there's a proper area where these, these critters can, can revitalize and live and, and, and breed... And they're going to separate, for the time being, these creatures to give them a chance to repopulate. And, the, and that's why the servile, as they will, in, in uh, the Greek 303, which if you remember, I did a teaching on that word servile, uh, about the pearly gates. And now we've got it. We, sh we have Peter who has been showing this, because God is saying to them, now look here, Peter, let me show you something. I took these clean and unclean animals and cared enough to make sure that they got saved on the ark and they got taken up of them that did not have a place or a room on the ark and were carried up into the heavens, and then at the right time when the, when the waters had receded, they were let down. They were parachuted. And then the parachutes were very advanced. So when they were right to the earth there, it would sort of dematerialize and draw back up into, into the vessel, into the ship, the spaceship. Wow. Now, we know that animals have been put into deep sleep, animals that you don't even think of being put into hibernation. In Psalm 76, 6, it talks about horses cast into a deep sleep. But let's go into Psalms 90, because this one really does it. We're into the sleep here. Psalms 90, this is so incredible. Uh, let's just read from the beginning. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Notice the generations word. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and saith, Return, O you children of men. For a thousand years, and we're getting into this thousand-year generation thing, in your sight are as but yesterday, when it is past, as a watch in the night. Now, hang and hold, get on to this. 
Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. And it flourishes. Here's a revelation. And, and this is how Jesus interprets the scripture. This is how the disciples interpret it. Because they found out that the way God did is he would bring out by the Holy Spirit in some of the different prophecy books, in some of the different Psalms, things that were revelation for something that happened way past. But it would be there for God's people to be able to see the invisible Bible. And here it says it. Thou carriest them away with a flood. <clears throat> and it's like a watch in the night, it said in verse 4. And they are asleep. They are as, as asleep. Because as asleep, hibernation. And in the morning, they, they awake and they're fresh. Now, that doesn't mean because they have that experience, they're going to live forever. No, they're, they're going to have that revitalization. They're going to get let down on the parachute, let out of the ark. But eventually, after they have flourished, they're going to die and their offspring will carry on. It's here. It's here. It's right in the Bible. And we know that <clears throat> Jonah and Jesus were in the bowels of their ship, whatever size those ships were sleeping during an incredible score, storm in which the, the people handling the riggings were just scared for their life. They called Jesus and said, hey, we're going to die. How can you be sleeping? And Jesus spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. He wasn't worried about it. He could sleep in it. But this is, this is a sleeping in the storm. This is a a solvency of, of, of God, of, of Yahweh, of Jesus. And when he talked about Lazarus, he says, Lazarus isn't really dead. They said, what are you talking about? He sleeps. Oh, if he was sleeping, that'd be great. But he's dead. He's, he, he's, he's been buried in the cave. He says, I tell you, he, he sleepeth. They didn't understand this thing that God could do this kind of hibernation thing. And there was more than one time that that experience was, was revealed in the ministry of Jesus because it all tied in to this great, incredible thing of the ark, of the reasons for the ark. And, and this sheet had four corners because that was the, the symbol, this the symbol within these parachutes in this particular message how it describes it of the four corners of the earth, all the world for these animals. And these three descents showed that they were being let down in different places. And then all the apparatus would be brought back up. So when we have begun to re reveal these incredible revelations, and to show how that on the other side of the water flood was a, an ice and glacial flood. 
Now, when I received that, I thought, wow, I don't think they ever call ice and glacial a flood. I looked it up on the Internet, and sure enough, they did. They called them floods. And we know that these sheets of ice, some of them a half a mile, some of them even three miles thick, slid over the earth. And I'm going to have to close because I'm running out of time, but listen. The Bible says in Psalms, Behold, the people walk on and know not that the very foundations of the earth are out of course. It tells us there that the foundations of the earth are out of course. What we have now is not what it was before the flood. Before the flood, we had the axis of the earth more perpendicular. Not real, totally perpendicular, but it was sped up, and that balanced out the effects of the more perpendicular. After the flood, it's been changed. So it's like somewhere around 23 and a half degrees on its side. Has the Bible told us about things like this? Yes. In Isaiah 24. In other scriptures. He's told us the foundations of the earth are out of course. You need to know about this. The Bible is sensational. The Bible is incredible. Once the Holy Spirit comes down and begins to anoint and, and begins to reveal the word. And there's people out there listening to these messages. And they're called to be manifestors going out and teaching this word, word to the world. And, and we're going to get them into our Bible college class from these broadcasts. And, and we're going to pre help prepare them to be able to go out and minister this word to the world. And it's a sensational time. It's a super time. And these revelations make me so excited. They are so beautiful. The word is so good. There's many, many more scriptures, folks. I just don't have the time in this broadcast. We have to go on to the next week. Hang in there, people. God is moving by his spirit and moving all over the earth. Hang in there. Now I want to say a prayer. Oh, God, I want to pray for these persons, Betty McDonald, Shauna, our brother, Prophet Charles. I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will reach upon their bodies and heal and comfort them and that your miracle working power will be their deliverance. I want to pray for our audience of followers for their healing and for their deliverance. And that you'll give them power over demons and power over lust. And that you will lead and guide them, O oh God. Blessed be your name, Heavenly Father. And real fast, God has moved me with all this epiphany and all these things that are happening. He's moved me to make a documentary about all of this revelation. And I'm going to need help buying the right kind of cameras and equipment. 
And I'm not asking for any of the people that have already given all that they can give and have done a lot. I'm not, I'm talking, there's some other listeners out there, some of you that haven't even been able to, you know, to, to, to give, that if God would so move on you, we need, we need to raise at least $5,000 to get these cameras. And we're working with some geologists and some various peoples. We, we've got incredible things that we're going to show in this documentary. And we believe this is going to become a tool by which the Holy Manifest teachings and the Holy Manifest Peace Bible can really get out. And all these things are coming. If any of you guys, uh, people so feel led to do that, we're not going to be doing a big repeat on this. I don't see we won't mention it again, but we're not going to be uh, hustling it. Believe me, we don't do that. But it's an exciting time. God is moving by his spirit. God bless you. We love you.